Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash, Season 1, Episode 14. And I have Dominic O'Meara with me, founder of Barglue, a social media application built around community and charity. So welcome, Dominic. Uh, thanks very much, Ben. Great to be here. Thank you for your time. So for the benefit of the listeners, uh, could you mm. give a little bit of background? Yeah, well, you asked the question earlier, you know, how did I get here? How did I come to be, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, really? How do I get here in terms of entrepreneurship? And I, I had a little, you know, thinking about that. I mean, my dad had his own business. I grew up in that environment with the goal of working for myself, really, for as long as I can remember. I mean, from the word go, that was what I was going to do. Um, the question really, the, the bit to be filled in was doing what? And uh, very early on, I wanted to work in advertising from about 15. I remember it very clearly from about 15 and quite possibly even earlier. I mean, I, I remember going to, a, to watch a movie in a little village where I grew up just outside Stratford-on-Avon, Ben, where you mm. might well be talking when you're talking to me from there right now. And uh, I went to a little village called Wellsbourne and we didn't have a cinema, probably still isn't a cinema, I shouldn't think. And in the village hall, uh, a movie was being shown. And my older brother took me to, to see this movie. And I don't remember the movie. I think it might have been Chitty Chitty Bang, but I don't really remember the movie. But I do remember the commercials that were played before, which were for PG Tips with the chimps. And we all thought they were absolutely a riot. I think I was about four. And I was given a little box of um, tea bags to take home, which I gave to my mother. And that was, that was an interaction with advertising. You know, Unilever's PG Tips at the age of four. And uh, it's, it, it, it had a big impression, made a big impression on people, bigger than the movie that I'd been to see. And of course, there you've got a number of different things going on that we now call experiential advertising, don't we? We've made up all sorts of names for things over the years. But, you know, I was given these tea bags that was a big influence on me. I saw the ads and, and that, you know, advertising played a, a great part in my consciousness from that moment on. So I became, you know, an entrepreneur in advertising and started my own ad agency. I went through school, went on to do a business degree, lucky enough to be sponsored. And I think my sponsorship really caught the attention of Saatchi and Saatchi, who I joined as a graduate. And I worked on some very top accounts with them and then worked with some great ad agencies after that. Um, I ran BP's campaign globally, making commercials with George Lucas Studios, winning a BAFTA for them. So I had a terrific career. Uh, and then I moved to Amsterdam because I was, I was hankering to start my own agency and I was told that this just couldn't happen in London. They weren't very encouraging. I didn't really, I don't think they really wanted people to start their own agencies. They didn't fancy the competition. So I went to Amsterdam, which is much more entrepreneur friendly for advertising. And uh, you don't have to have an office with, you know, massive uh, glass windows and lots of chrome and lots of expensive people wandering around on expensive cars parked outside in Amsterdam. You can do it in your own front room. And so that's what I did. Uh, first off, I set up a, an office for a, a company called Naked, which was a very successful media agency in the sort of earlier part of the noughties and then I started my own ad agency called Community with Canon and TDK as our first clients. We won uh, pitches in the first two weeks to win those pieces of business and we were profitable from day one. 
you know, community very successful, uh, five years, five, we got to 25 people, $5 million in annual fees. And I could see the media landscape was really shifting away from the agency model. I could see the rise of social media, the impact that was having pretty much the only game in town and, you know, reading the pages of campaign or brand republic. It's, it was what everyone obsessed about. So I figured, well, you know, in charge of your own destiny, I'm going to focus on this. And so we decided to put our focus actually on owning and developing a communications channel within this new social environment, rather than just making content for or buying space on one for clients. So that's that's what we did. And that's how Bar Glue came about. Initially, as an idea, I had to help Canon and Adidas with their in-store marketing, actually. So two clients that I've been working with for some years uh, out of community. And I went to them as I could see this whole landscape changing. We were making a lot of content for them and budgets for content were being more and more restricted. So I went to them with an idea to get more out of their in-store marketing using QR codes on point of sale to bring mobile-based messages, you know, product movies, offers onto the mobile phone because we built a little scanner with a guy that I'd been working with as our IT manager for years out of community. I knew him very well, Richard Lustenberg, and he'd also been, I didn't know this, but he'd, he'd started working in mobile a couple of years before this. I had no idea because, you know, mobile was still so new. So he was able to, to develop a QR code scanner because I looked into buying one, but uh, <laughs> back then they were very expensive. So uh, anyway, we built our own. And we scanned QR codes and the QR codes on posters, you know, in camera shops or in Adidas stores. Took you to mobile-ready sites and and product movies and offers and news that we we built the content for. And the package we called Bargling, you know, because it was bridging the online and the offline worlds, bringing them together in the hands of people on their mobile phones. And clients loved it. I mean, they, they thought it was a great idea. And so we started to evolve it, really, with Canon and Adidas, and also, you know, others came on board. We did some work with Philips, with Eastpac, with a few companies, actually, Samsung. They all seemed to, you know, really like it. I could see that, you know, the, the growth area is always going to be in the media. As I said, we wanted to develop a media channel, and for that, you need eyeballs. I mean, you need to grow the audience. And that's what we set about doing. So several iterations then began to develop the product, bringing us up to the present day, really. Uh, and the proposition we have now, which is that it's the social media that gives back and we exist to share the millions in uh, generated in social media advertising with the millions who need it most. Could you just tell us a bit more around the structure? Is it a bit like a Facebook? Is it a bit like a, a Twitter or an Instagram? It's recognisable from that sort of format. I mean, it is a, a, you know, at its core, it's a social media. So users post um, content to the glue board, as we call it. That's our feed. You post your content to the glue board and you can post about pretty much anything you want as you would as just as you would with the other social media but our emphasis is on this concept of sharing advertising wealth so the the kind of audience that we're attracting is you know it's it tends to be a more ethically motivated kind of an audience and so their interests are more in the area of of sustainability of of issues that they want to help try and resolve but there's no legislation that you have to do that um so you, you post whatever you want to post about just as you would with uh, with any other social network and the key difference is that when your posts are viewed you earn barcoin and barcoin is our it's our internal token of course it's our little skit on bitcoin but you earn barcoin and these are fully exchangeable fully fiat exchangeable uh, and you donate the bar coin that you've earned for views of your posts to the charities, good causes and initiatives that you want to support. So that's how we share it. And that share of the value of your view 
is actually a share in the advertising revenue that your views are helping to generate. Because, of course, when people use bar, uh, Facebook or Twitter or any of the, uh, of the social media, most of them are advertising revenue driven, certainly Facebook is, and it's really views of your posts that cause, that drives the traffic that makes the money for these uh, social, social networks. So we've, we've developed a software that will track that and give you a share of it that you can then share with charities and good causes. So it's a completely altruistic motive. You don't actually get to keep any of the money yourself. Well, first off, we're not, you know, you get a slightly more spammy kind of content when you do that. And the other thing is that we're not, in the end, talking about a fortune per person. There was a website that tried this, actually. There have been a couple. And the thing is that unless you have, you know, if the average normal user of Facebook doesn't generate a fortune for Facebook. It's just there are so many users that they generate overall a fortune, if you see what I mean. It's something like about $25, $30 annually is the average. Now, there are certain heavy users that will be generating several hundred dollars and there are you know, less frequent users that will just be generating a smaller amount. But if you add all of those together then, and you, cha and you channel that money into charities and good causes, then you have potentially a serious lot of money. Uh, that can end up being redistributed, you know, to good causes uh, and charities. I mean, were our model to be adopted by Facebook, for example, I hesitate to put a figure on it. You know, if their advertising revenue was 40 billion last year, which I gather it would, then they would be generating about 20 billion a year for charities and good causes, were they to use our model, which I very much doubt they would. We're using our model and we'll still be perfectly profitable even after we've shared the vast majority of the money that comes through the network um, with, uh, with charities and good causes. I'm trying to understand a bit more about how you generate the advertising revenue in the first place. Because with the likes of Facebook, they take a fee to allow individuals and companies to publish an advertisement yeah. in a feed uh, that is then consumed by a, a user. Uh, yeah. So they yeah. read, read through their feed, they see the advert. Yeah. That, that's been paid for. Mm -hmm. Is that the same premise that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's terribly simple. It's as simple as you dare, dare, dare allow yourself to believe it is, Ben. It couldn't be more simple. <laughs> well, so think of the simplest answer that there could possibly be to this conundrum, and you'll probably be right. It is simply that we have developed software that tracks how many views of your post, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that you receive and calculates the value of those views in the advertising that you've helped generate. Uh, allocates that into an account stored in the form of bar coin that you can then pay to uh, any of the charities and good causes that uh, that we're in partnership with. And it all comes <laughs> off the back of, you know, views of, of ads. We work on the basis that, you know, as you go into our app, you are going to see ads and brand messages. Not necessarily ads, because we don't want our app dripping with display ads. You might see posts from our sponsors. And I should say that our model is, going, is, is more sponsorship driven than advertising relationship okay. driven. We're taking a rather different approach to uh, traditional social media. You're asking about problems that we've encountered and things that I would advise. One of the problems we encountered was trying to make advertising, trying to make programmatic advertising work. It just doesn't, at least it didn't for us. And I know that this is the case for many, many other publishers or networks before they get to what's called scale. And, you know, people's definition of scale seems to vary, you know, from one person to the next. Some people say it's a million users plus and others claim other numbers. In the end, we just decided, look, enough of all this. We're going to go direct to the, uh, to the advertisers and build a relationship with them. This is quite a new direction for us. 
So uh, all I can say is that because our proposition is very much pointed towards the ethically responsive user, we have a growing number of advertisers whose attention we've caught because of this, including the biggest uh, purpose-led brand advertiser on the planet and you know in the world so these are the sort of developments that are going on right now okay great <laughs> and you, more uh, than that i cannot say so with regards to building the audience you mentioned eyeballs is the way to drive advertising and uh, it's what it's all about attention. whichever yeah. whichever you know whichever age you're in that's that's always been the case how many sort of users do you have at the moment and what is your ambition for the next year? So the metric we're more concerned with is numbers of views, really. Number of views that we so far uh, reached is 15 million monthly views or monthly impressions. And what we're looking to do is to grow rapidly now to our next sort of target level is 100 million monthly impressions. In terms of numbers of users, mm, that would probably be coming off about 250,000 users so very early days for us with this new format our target though would be to take a a share of market of the ethically motivated users of social media if you look at all social media if you look at the uh, total number of views that are, are delivered by the total number of users because the numbers of users there are about two and a half billion they're probably pretty much the same people though it's not like there's two and a half billion for facebook and another billion for Instagram and another 300 million for Twitter. They're all pretty much the same people, right? So if we look at numbers of views, then <clears throat> it gives you some idea of the, of the total usage rather than necessarily the number of users. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So that's why we're a bit more interested in usage. We are looking as a, as a target further down the track to arrive at a 10% share of the total available sustainable market, total available sustainable market, which is to say about 10 billion monthly views. That's significant. Per view, do you have uh, an amount of money or bar well, coin that gets attributed per view? Um, it depends. And um, it depends on a couple of factors. We, Barglue, as a company, as I say, the relationship is a sponsored relationship. So what we have is uh, uh, within that sponsorship, we have a, a package of things that we do. We, do, we, you know, we plan the media. We prepare the content where, where necessary. And bear in mind that we are not advocating for our advertisers. And also bear in mind my background's in advertising, mm-hmm. careers being in advertising. My experience is that advertising works at its best when people don't feel they're being advertised to. And therefore, I'm not a big fan of display advertising. I mean, it's okay. It has its place. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not necessarily a big fan of standardized format advertising. And so consequently, I won't recommend to advertisers that they just plonk loads of display ads into the app. Instead, what I would recommend them to do is, yeah, have an amount of display advertising, but quite a lot of, you know, native communication going on in there. So posts, stories. I mean, a company like Unilever, for example, (coughs) has lots of actual real life examples that they can they can tell their audience about for example the the work they do with lifepoint specifically in kenya although they do it all over the world but in kenya where they're encouraging people to wash their hands because you know washing your hands helps you avoid various you know diseases dysentery these sort of things and they they work very hard to to spread that message what we would do is you know place stories help the brand to communicate what they're doing but on a level that isn't 
strictly you know a display advertising type mm. of approach there are other brands that tend to bolster their sustainability credentials ikea is another one lego is another one there are many many brands really connect with their audience on that level and don't necessarily want to do it through anything as clunky as display advertising so the medium becomes the message and simply being on bar blue is a way of saying if you're a brand look i want to help work with i want to work with people who want to make a difference because when we advertise on Barglue, um, the you know a significant amount of the advertising money is going to help um, good causes and mm. charities, including those with with whom we are directly associated. Because because most of the big brands out there these days, and even smaller brands, have charitable relationships that uh, that can find their way, you know, that, that that then become part of our partnership. Right. So for the benefits of someone like me who will be using the app, um, yeah. po posting and sharing. <laughs> And over time, gathering bar coin mm. uh, to then push to uh, a charity of, of my cho choosing? Or is there a selection of charities that you yeah, recommend? There's, there's a selection of recommended charities where, where, you know, if you don't see one on there that takes your fancy, then you can always uh, you can always ask that we, you know, that we add it uh, mm. and that we approach them and add it. But uh, but we're looking to build quite a big. I mean, we're looking to build a bigger and bigger database, if you like, of um, of charities and good causes that are connected with pretty much every issue. I mean, there's so many charities. I think there's something like 250,000 registered charities in this country alone. So, you know, many of them just don't get any kind of airtime or get, get heard about. So we'd like to try and help support those that are lesser known. But really, our thing is about trying to... Uh, enable um, our users to take action you know within whatever area it is they want to take action it could be environmental or it could be more social it could be to do with you know plastic in the seas it could be to do with homelessness in certain parts of the country or disadvantage or a lack of education it could be something to do with um, <clears throat> you know uh, the underdeveloped world it could be you know about uh, a shortage of, of, of food and housing uh, anywhere on earth. I mean, because you, you one of the questions you ask is what, pro it's a good question, which is what problem are you looking to solve? I and mean, we should come mm. back to that one. And the problem we're looking to solve is global wealth inequality, in a nutshell. That's it. That's what Barglue exists to do, to help try and redress that balance. And I think I, you know, I, I earlier gave you the sort of level on scale on which we could, uh, we could bring that about using social media as the channel. It's uh, surprising to me how little it's been used and our determination is to change that. Yes. We want to change. We want to change the world for a, you know, for, for, for better. And we feel we've, you know, I, I've spent my life in advertising. Um, I don't know how, how to do it through any other means. I only know advertising and this is the way to do it. As far as I can see, you can use social media to do it. And that's why I started one. It's a very noble cause and compliment you on the work that you've done so far. Well, how that's very kind. Thank you. How are you going to build uh, the community up further? So yeah. with, your, with your knowledge of yeah. advertising, yeah. Uh, could you give any tips or recommendations of how you're going about doing that to other well, entrepreneurs that are looking to do this, a similar sort of thing for their business? Well, the trial that we did that I've referenced to, I'll be honest with you, we put it out there and just saw what it would do. And uh, it got a pretty much viral uptake and we reached 15 million monthly impressions, which is a figure far, far higher than I was expecting to get to. I was expecting to get to something more like a million monthly impressions. 
So 15 million monthly impressions was a really positive thing for, from our point of view, as far as, you know, validation is the word, isn't it, mm-hmm. of, uh, of our ability to handle traffic rapidly and the, the broad concept that we, we put in front of people. And that concept has significantly improved, certainly in terms of its appeal to advertisers, by, by becoming more altruistic. And it's also moved rather upscale in terms of the profile of, of users that we're attracting which again is attractive to advertisers because they tend to prefer more affluent users. Use Facebook advertising, by the way, (laughs) which is very, very, very expensive, of course. But we did use it because you can reach absolutely the same reason everybody uses it, which is that you can reach everyone with it. The problem is that there is, so long as there is only Facebook, you're not getting much of a, you know, you're not getting much contrast. So that's that's another reason that the world needs, I think needs an alternative. But with our, with our, um, plans we are not going that way at all I mean we just simply did that in order to get some downloads quickly to see what then happened we we paid a lot of money for the few downloads that we got through Facebook but what happened or oh, it wasn't a few you know for, for the downloads we got through Facebook but what happened from that was that you know user invited user invited user and so we saw a very rapid uptake um, off the back of that I mean, we just hit a, we hit a particular chord, I guess, with a particular user base, and and, uh, and we got uh, rapid uptake within about twelve weeks. We went from you know practically naught to fifteen million monthly mm. impressions. So that and was pretty quick. That is quick. So here and now, we've got the the application. You're building out mm. your sponsor list. Yes. Uh, who are uh, focused on sustainability, charitable causes. Um, yes, That's uh, for good. Certainly an important part of their message, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they want to be associated with, with that and mm-hmm. also access the customers, the potential customers that have a, the same focus and, and mentality. In 12 months' true. time, mm. you, you, built, you talked about building the number of impressions that you're making. Yes. You talked about how you've received investment and now yes. you've got the technology ready to scale. Yes. So it's just a matter of going out there and, and that's, build, that's building right. that community further. Exactly that. Exactly that. And um, the way we're going to go about that is, you know, as, a, as our sponsors come on, um, of course, being, you know, we, we're in a position uh, which our, which other, which, which sort of like the, the social media giants are just not in the position to uh, work very closely with the, uh, with the sponsors. Um, you know, to to help shape their ca- sh- help shape their campaigns, um, and to a degree, the technology that we're building around uh, messaging and how we serve how we serve that up to users. Um, so as we do that, we're also going to um, you know big you know icons of the charity world. I mean, sort of like Leonardo DiCaprio would be an example of you know, a seriously big icon, but you're probably aware he has the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation. Mm-hmm. So that's like 35 million followers on Twitter. And he's just a fairly extreme, he's a fairly extreme example of, of others who we are approaching to become, you know, part of what we're doing. And um, that's one channel through which we're looking to, uh, you know, to develop our user base. Um, so, I mean, they, they will, you know, tweet out to their uh, users or, or speak to followers, sorry, and, and tell them to find them on Bargu where they'll be talking about their, their interests, be that cleaning up the ocean or whatever it is. Uh, and as they do so, the advertising uh, revenues that surround their content, which they do on Twitter and they do on Facebook, but they don't see any of it, they don't see any of it, uh, will go to supporting 
um, the charities and good causes that they are actively involved in. Do you see? So the motivation for them is is to is to help further the causes that they are working to support. So Very that's interesting. One, that's one way. And then similarly with charities, of course, because some of these charities have enormous. Uh, following, uh, uh, you know, supports and uh, subscribers, um, cancer research, for instance, as well over a million, but I mean, significantly over it. It's in their interests that all of their users should use Bargly rather than Facebook, from whom, again, they get nothing. Fantastic. Exciting times ahead. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So let's talk a bit more about you yourself, the individual. Okay. So uh, in, in terms of building businesses, you've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, you, you are an entrepreneur, you're living the life of, of one. Right. Um, yeah. So is there anybody else that you look look up to or, or take motivation from? Uh, yeah, from well, I mean, too many to mention, I suppose. Almost too many to mention. I mean, um, I, uh, I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, I started at Saatchi and Saatchi, and I think that mm. was, that was a, a hugely entrepreneurial environment to cut my teeth in. I mean, that everybody there was a bit of an entrepreneur, really. The whole spirit was entrepreneurial. I've just always really been around very entrepreneurially minded people, I think. Um, probably birds of a feather sort of flock together. Today, I work with uh, people that are very inspiring, entrepreneurially minded people. Um, I suppose it's just the company that you tend to keep, isn't it, really? That's a good piece so, of advice, actually, because it is motivating you. you pro- you're able to bounce ideas. You see what other people are doing, and then you're focusing on building your own yeah, business, your I- own output. And this is why places like WeWork and these working environments have been so successful. Actually, I, I don't work out of a WeWork uh, or anything like that these days. I did when I started Community. I, and WeWorks didn't even exist back then. But I, I, I started working out of a communal place in Amsterdam called WD81. And this is before WeWork and communal centres were, were, were commonplace or, you know, thought of, really. So they, it's a great thing to do. Definitely get yourself into one of those. I'm not. Uh, actually, because circumstances slightly changed for me, but I, uh, but I can certainly recommend. I, I do think it's a smart move early on if you're starting to be an entrepreneur, especially if, if you're if one or two man band, uh, is to get around more body heat, more people, uh, because that will definitely spur you on, and you'll bounce ideas to everything you just said, really. And as you're busy building a business, you're building an application, you're, you're taking it to market, you're, you're selling the idea, you're, you're bringing in sponsors. That takes a yeah. lot of time. Yeah. So is there any, any way in which you create headspace to recalibrate? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a massive addict for running. I run quite a lot. And I find that is a huge uh, therapy, since you ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of need it. And I run as often as I can. I'm looking at some hills right now thinking, oh, I'd love to go and run in this. So I find Fantastic. running is a massively cathartic thing. Um, and I've, 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 I, took it up, I took it up pretty much as I started community, actually. So pretty much from, from the get-go of being an entrepreneur, of having my own business, that's gone hand in hand with, uh, with running. Since you asked. Yeah, those two, Thank you. Thank those you. two things have, um, have really, uh, really go together. I run three or four times a week. That's good. Healthy body, healthy mind. Yeah. A healthy business. Right, right. Well, it's certainly, it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I run for the mental side of it. The physical part is just a very, very handy byproduct. But I actually run because I, I, can't, I can't actually sit and meditate, but I can run and think. I don't listen to music or anything else. I just think to myself. And uh, I find it, 
is a very very handy way to um to de-stress how about you ben what do you do to uh to to chill out what do you do so there's a whole host of things i i I vary from playing computer games there's a first person shooters Uh, there's some strategy games as well that i like playing Mm -hmm. uh, where there's a, a continual movement of pieces on the board essentially yeah and um yeah, you have to make decisions very quickly on the fly. Right. Uh, but also I do Tang Soo Do, a Korean-style karate, and that right. set of movements is a, a form of meditation that I see. Okay. And yeah. I've right. been doing that for a long time, mm. uh, but it's it's just making sure that you have the discipline to do it regularly. That's yeah. very important. Tricky, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I do love hiking. I love going yeah. uh, across the hills and mountains. Mm. again like you uh, clearing your head thinking about things mm-hmm. uh, and um, taking in the fresh air mm. Mm. as an entrepreneur you're continually learning uh, a lot of people do this by just doing and yeah. failing fast falling forwards and getting up quickly and, and trying something different mm-hmm. so that's the primary way of learning is by mm. doing mm-hmm. there is then understanding the experiences of other people Mm-hmm. like this podcast uh, to learn about what other people have done. Uh, are there any sort of materials that you are reviewing at the moment and from any particular individual that you could recommend such as reading, such as podcasts, such as videos? Yeah. That... I mean, I, I tend to, I mean, I do tend to read an awful lot of sources, data, um, you know, articles, pieces that are either very, either very directly or more indirectly related to the business that I'm building. So um, fairly major consumer of, uh, I mean, LinkedIn, I, I use quite a bit these days. And I find that quite a good source of, uh, of material. There's, um, you know, uh, method. Um, uh, there's a, an economist whose book I, I can recommend, a guy called um, Professor Fred Harrison. He's the author of Boom Bust. And I think he's quite an interesting economist because he predicted the 80s crash. And he also predicted in his book, Boom Bust, he he predicted the global economic crisis of uh, 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wrote that book into, I read it in 2005. And I sort of planned my business development a little bit in the light of what I was reading. I certainly bore it in mind, you know. Um, because uh, he, the, the, the argument he presented actually around the property market, but, but markets in general was, was pretty strong, I felt, and he was proven right again. So I think he's a very, he's quite a, an apocryphal economist in my opinion to, uh, to take note of. So professor Fred Harrison. Yeah. And I'm reading Robert Graves at the moment. Goodbye to all that, uh, which is just, you know, the, the autobiography of Robert Graves, who's an interesting <laughs> character, I think, cause he went off to fight in the first world war uh, and and this this year i've i've been very conscious of that um whole event you know because it's the centenary of the end of the first world war which is such a dreadful thing i think it's mm-hmm. an awful awful thing to happen to so many young men in particular in this country and uh um i'd like to know more about it and, and how life was for people at that time based on your journey to date what would you do differently knowing what you know now I can't complain too much, I think. And uh, I'm not sure that I would have. I mean, you can only do what you do. You can only do what seems to be the best at the time. Let me think about let me let me see. What would I do if I having having said that? What's the more useful thing? Because you have to try things out. And, you you know, you you won't learn unless you do try. 
Um, any, however, I, I, I know what you mean. I think I wouldn't if I if I'd known now what I if I'd known then what I know now about programmatic. Although I had my distinct feelings about it, I didn't like the look of it. I didn't trust it actually at the time. I thought mm, this looks like it could be a lot of hocus pocus. My experience exactly is it, is it, 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 it was exactly that. So I would have simply avoided, simply have avoided uh, programmatic advertising altogether, and continue focusing on, um, continue with my plan, which was just to to really build up a, a very good audience and go and get a sponsor right from the start. That's what I was always going to do. Thank you so much for your time, and um, oh, absolute pleasure. And I wish you, you all the best with your endeavours over the next twelve months. And Thank you. So we'll much. keep we'll keep in touch over the course of those twelve months. If there's any yeah. any sort of news piece, I'll follow. And um, I'll be publishing that and to the listeners as well, saying if yeah. you heard what Dominic Barglu has done recently, things like that, that will raise the attention. That's terrific. That's really, really um, exciting to be, thrilled to be part of it, excited to be part of it. And thank you very much for involving me and uh, to your listeners for listening. And, uh, and uh, you know, God bless you all. Best wishes to you all. Thanks, Good luck with everything you're doing. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe. And until next week, cheers. Cheers.